with me in your Bibles as we get started. Uh, young people, if you're in and you're not, you know, you're, you're one of our readers and you stay in because uh, you're older than Children's Church, the, the sermon notes are up here. Please come and take that. Our sermon note winner from last week is Ben Reed. Let's give Ben a hand. Amen. So um, he, he said, it says the name of the speaker, P.D. Yes. I love it. So, um, anyway, I, I love reading these each week, uh, even the ones who don't win. It's incredible how the kids are paying attention, even to topics like marriage. So, um, I encourage you to do that. Let's do this. Amen? Are you ready? Hey, um, let, me, let me have that thing there, sweetheart, because I, I need to... I've asked my queen to bring me something here. Here, give her a hand, right? There we go, right? Look at it. Anyway, let's talk about this, happily ever after. Happily ever after. I want to talk to you about a couple who when we read their story, we can literally bring into our mind and heart our thought process This phrase, marriage made in heaven, is incredible. Isaac and Rebecca's story is an incredible story. It's a story uh, uh, that leads us into some things that we really need to think about. And so in Genesis chapter 24, let me read to you just to start there at the first verse. Now, Abraham was old. Now, you you know you're old when people call you old, but when God is writing a story about your life and he calls you old, he's not only old, the Bible says he's well advanced in years. And the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who who had in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now, I'm not going to move theologically into this section we can do that later. That I may make you swear the Lord. You all right, Mike? He said that I might make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you'll go to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, why his hand on his thigh? Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. You see, there's an important phrase. When, when God tells you to leave a place, he probably doesn't want any part of you to return. I, I just need to keep reading because i got a different sermon to preach. The Lord, the God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from my land, my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I'll give this land. He'll send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son there. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? 
I, I just want to do something real quick. I want to thank Matt and Elizabeth for taking my wife and I on a, on a little journey Friday. They had no idea it was of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they hadn't planned it to be what it was. Um, but my spirit's been renewed since Friday, uh, and God spoke a little fresh. And, and I, I hadn't been to this spot in 21 years, but I, I know now more than ever why memorials will be built and altars will be built so that when you return to a place, even if you haven't been there in a long time, you can remember exactly what God spoke to you in that moment. And, and over 20 years ago, uh, Friday, I was able to sit down in the very seat where God spoke to me and said, move to Michigan. I hadn't been back there in so long. And, and my wife and I both just kind of walked around the whole place in glee. A little bit of antsy in our, in our, our way back home. We just thought, man, that, I don't know how to describe it. Like there's some nostalgia to it. But it, it really isn't that. It's a refreshing into the amen of God. Right? It's just like so. sometimes you get so focused and so hard, working so hard and, and being obedient in what you know God spoke to you. And you do it for so long that the freshness of the presence of God in that word can sometimes fade. And so we did that Friday. It wasn't rehearsed. It wasn't intended to be that. But for us it was. And man, do I got a lot of thoughts now. The round barn in Napanee. Where I can remember God pouring out His Spirit in incredible ways. Well, I would travel from Florida all the way to Napanee. Never knowing that 20 years in the future, we all would stand in this place. Ugh. So it was good. Happily ever after is one of those things, right? So like, man, you can be married for a long time. Feel good about it. Been working hard at it. But let's all admit it. There are times when it fades. Amen. Someone said she should have a... She doesn't need a mic. <laughs> Happily ever after is one of those terms that we often use when a story is an incredible story, but it starts off horrible. And at the end of the story, we go, oh, it's so good, yay. <laughs> it's happily ever after. We see the slow motion running on the beach. Fabio's hair flying in the wind. Uh, you don't know Fabio, he's a pig farmer who happened to be a picture of him actually just played out on many romance novels. I, I don't know. Anyway. Happily ever after is how it ends. It usually starts off horrible. But what if it starts off amazing and it ends horrible? I think the movie industry has nothing, nothing. The movie, they have nothing on the love story that this message is surrounded around today. Sarah dies at 127 years old. Isaac is 37 at this particular time. And, and in those 37 years, what he's done is he has watched his father and his mother live in love. He's watched him go through some things. He's watched all this stuff happen in his 37 years. He has seen the model of love. 
What follows is how Abraham's love is modeled in the next generation through Isaac for good and for bad. What if the greatest role adults that we play as parents is guiding our children into who they would marry? Now don't get it twisted. Because I didn't say set it up, facilitate it. I didn't, come on. I didn't say date your child's boyfriend or girlfriend for them. I just think sometimes by the way we are married, we don't realize they're watching and they're learning, good or bad. And then we wonder why sometimes guys marry a woman just like their mother. Girls marry a guy just like their dad. And if you say that to them, they may be repulsed by it. Abraham was involved in the process, verses 1 through 4. He says here, he says, hey, I got to get involved in this process. Sarah has died and and I'm old. I'm going to die soon too. And and so before I die, I got to get Isaac a wife. Something's got to happen here. And I love that not only was he involved in the process, not just by saying, I've got to physically be involved, but all those years just living his life and loving Isaac's mom, he was involved in the process. And I love how he trusted God to be in the process. Verse 7, when when he says, no, 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 watch this. God, don't take him there. God's got something set up. God's got something set up. And then what you have is is Genesis chapter um, uh, 24 through 7 through 62. Y'all want me to read it? No, you don't. What we see is how marriage that's made in heaven should look like. Seems too good to be true, doesn't it? I mean, it's just, it's it's so too good to be true. It is the fairy tale. Come on. It's just a fairy tale in the Bible. This is a, a prayer. Listen, think about this. A prayer is made, a sign is asked for, and an answer is received. What a story. Like, come on. But as we read about Isaac and Rebekah, watch this. We can't help but to see how God's orchestrated the whole thing. But see, here you and I sit in this place this morning, in regards to how long we've been married or what marriage means to us in this moment, when we think about our life and we relate it to marriage, we can't believe that our marriage could also be made in heaven. And I just need to preference this whole story and this whole message with this. I've said it before. You can marry the right person and treat them wrong. And you're going to be married to the wrong person. You can marry the wrong person and treat them right. And you just might wind up married to the right person. Corinthians says, don't you know, married person, that your faith might... Come on, somebody. I need you to grab a hold of something here because there are all kinds of things that I hear in my office from people that aren't biblical, that sound very justified and spiritual. Maybe you just had, as a married couple, maybe you just had an argument recently. Maybe you've just been coming through some struggles recently and you think made in heaven negative. 
I'm going to get me a t-shirt that says negative. I'm... Yeah. Maybe you aren't proud of how you and your spouse met. Maybe you sit here this morning as a Christian and you think, but man, we weren't Christians or we weren't acting like Christians when we met. Come on, somebody. And, and is God really in this made in heaven? I don't know. Maybe right now, because of whatever you're struggling with, you're wondering, is God even involved in my life, much less my marriage? I'm preaching to somebody, and it's setting in. I believe it. I want to be honest with you. I'm not sure there's a couple alive today. I'm not sure there's ever been a couple that have been through some stuff. Come on, how many of y'all been through some? Come on, we've been through some stuff. I'll use a five-letter word. We've been through some stuff. Stuff. We've been through some stuff. Some of them smell. Good. I, I would need you that we done been through some stuff. I, I, don't, I don't care how long we've been married or not. But I, people, I don't think there's a couple alive that hasn't wondered at some point whether their marriage is perfect. The, the, are we really meant to be together? I don't think there's a couple alive who hadn't asked himself that question at some point. We really... Meant to be together? And let me just encourage you today, regardless, regardless of the circumstance and the details, here you are today. Oh, he, he, you, for some reason, you watch it, you listen, you hear, for some reason, here you are today, a couple married to each other. Like, you probably done been through some stuff. Here and now, in this moment, is where all of us have to be convinced that regardless of how, when, or where, what we've been through, we've got to be convinced in our spirit that God is involved. That His desires and His design is playing out in our lives to bring us to a greater faith in Him and in our marriage. It is. I think as Christians, it's time to embrace God's view of marriage and stop being cowards about it. Marriage is something that is sanctified. It's set aside. It's something God intends to be permanent in our lives. And let me say that to every person who's listening. Regardless of where you find yourself this morning, you cannot redo the past. Stop trying. Repent of the past and pick up today. You're trying to clean up a mess that can't be cleaned up. It's over. The past is over. It's gone. It's done. Are there regrets and consequences? Yes. I get it. I live in a world just like you do. But today in this marriage where we are, 
God wants us to make it for His, His glory and for our joy. Let me, let me say this so that you will remember it. Marriage is for His glory and your joy. And you might look at me today and go, Pastor Don, let me explain something to you. Ain't neither one of them things happening in my marriage. God ain't getting no kind of glory and it ain't joy. I've been there. <laughs> what we have here in the Bible is a fairy tale with a problem. Uh, chapter 25. I, ju- I, just need, I just need a minute to move through something with you married people. Come on. Your marriage is worth this. Chapter 25, verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to try and say all of that. And, and I, Verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Gentlemen. Your life will change if you stop complaining about that woman. And start praying for her. Not pray God get her. God bless her. I told you guys that story. My wife was so mad at me one day. She's standing on the couch so she can look me in the eye. She like this little chihuahua. Ain't nobody scared of her. <laughs> and I mean, she was giving me what for. I don't even remember what it was about. Probably rightly so. I'm sure it was rightly so. She's probably justified in that prophetic finger coming out. That whatever, that head moving. And I just remember in that moment, I've got an option here. I can be incredibly angry and enjoying her. Or I can lead. And I remember looking at her in that moment and saying, you know what? I have never been so attracted to you in all my life. I love that spit and fire, right? Like, in the moment, it didn't really go over like I wanted it to. (laughs) But joy did come. Come here, let's pray. Come on, marriage is like a roller coaster. It's all kind of up and down. Marriage is like a roller coaster. Come on, it's all kind of up. The biggest issue here we have is in their marriage, is in the beginning, Abraham died. It had to crush them. It had to crush them. But 20 years of marriage, what happens to Isaac and Rebekah is the old enemy pops up again. Its name is barrenness. And Sarah... And Rebecca have this thing in common, right? Like they both struggle with this issue. 
And for Isaac too, he had this thing in common with his dad. And I can think in my mind, what did dad do in this situation? Well, I wasn't there. But I remember them telling me he prayed. Like Abraham, who didn't blame Sarah for her barrenness, Isaac didn't blame Rebekah for hers. I'm going to pray about this thing. I'm going to seek God for her. The outcome of a husband doing the right thing. Y'all not ready. Every man's about to run out the room. The outcome of a husband doing the right thing. Y'all not ready. Twins. (laughs) Negative. I love this. God comes to Rebecca. God comes to Rebecca and says to her, because she'd never been pregnant before, all of a sudden she's pregnant and there's stuff happening that she's not used to. She doesn't understand all of this that's happening inside of her and it feels funny. And she seeks the Lord about why she feels so strange. And God himself comes to her, I don't have time to read it to you, and says, hey, hey, don't be bothered by it. There's two nations in your belly. And they're wrestling with each other. Every couple struggles with communication. Here's the problem. God only spoke this to Rebecca, even though Isaac was the one who prayed. God didn't speak it to Isaac. He didn't say, Isaac, hey, she's got two babies in her womb. And they're wrestling with each other. But don't worry about it because the older is going to serve the younger. That's important information because the father had to pass the blessing down to the firstborn. That's the tradition. The firstborn gets two-thirds of everything, right? So he's got, that's just tradition. And But God didn't speak that to Isaac. He only spoke it to Rebecca. You would think... She would have shared this information right away. (laughs) Hey, I know you've been praying. Guess what God spoke to me? Hey, I know you've been seeking. Thank you. Guess what God spoke to me? But years later, Isaac still didn't know because we know when the time came to bestow the blessing, he's looking for Esau. That's a long time not to talk to each other about something very important. So the struggle continues because the Bible shares with us that they each had their favorite. Verse 28. It says that Isaac loved Esau because he was a hunter and Isaac liked to eat his meat, you know, and the keel. Oh, yes. Right? And, and Rebecca loved... Um, she, she loved Jacob because, right, like he would get in the kitchen with her and spend some time with her and that kind of stuff. They each had their favorites. It's a devastating scene, church. Because here what we have is a family made up of divine love where two boys are only half loved. I'm talking to some married people. And the question is, what good can come from that? And the answer is simple, none. 
Let me show you. Isaac, because of fear, dishonors his wife. He tells the Philistines, she's my sister. We heard this story before. Careful, dads. Your boys are watching. That had to go to Rebecca's value. Not maliciously. He didn't do that maliciously towards her. He's trying to save his own skin because he thinks they're going to see her beauty and kill him so they can have her. So he preempts this just like his dad did and said, hey, she's my sister. Right? That had to go to her value because that was one thing she would have known about. And and to, to hear her husband choose himself over her. I got a lot of guys who sit in my office and say, I would die for that woman. I'll die for her. You willing to cease, you willing to stop breathing for this woman. But you can't treat her good while you're alive. You, you ain't going to die for her. You're not going to die for her. Sorry about your luck. I'm just being honest. What you need is a goldfish. Now, Rebecca's not innocent, ladies. She manipulates her favorite son into laying or, or, or to lying and stealing the blessing that was already his. Instead of waiting for God to supernaturally move and honor his promise to her, she didn't come into some kind of agreement with God and say, God, I'll do this if you give me that. No, it was God who approached her and said, This is what I'm doing. Right. Two boys, don't panic. The older is going to serve the younger. Right. He said that to her, not her to him. Come on. Come on. So she gets involved and preempts the plan of God through manipulation. Talk, listen, this whole thing is dysfunctional. Right. Talk about a couple who's not communicating about important events. Parents playing favoritism and a spouse trying to deceive and manipulate another. Listen, stuff like this happens and we think it's okay because all we're interested in is the end game. I got to get what I want. And my question to you married people, at what cost? At what cost? There's always a price to be paid. Watch this. An alienated son, Esau, out of anger, to spite his parents, decides, I'll get revenge on them for what they've done to me. I'm going to marry a pagan woman. He knew that would displease his parents. And on top of that, I'll kill Jacob the next time I see him. This thing is just blowing up. And so Jacob's forced to run for his life. And you listen to this. You listen to me very well, married people. Rebecca never saw Jacob again as long as she lived. She died without ever seeing him after this moment. It was her favorite. And she never saw him again. 
because of her actions. And if you read Genesis chapter 27, when she talks about it at the end of her life, she talks about such regret. She, she literally says, my, 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 my life is worthless. So much regret. Now let's put it all together as we start to move down our path that we've been moving over the last couple of weeks. How can we relate to this, uh, to something that began so beautiful and, and something that ends so badly? The first part of the marriage is great. It's an incredible story. But, but by the time the boys come along and they're born, it's pretty evident that Isaac and Rebecca are drifting apart. This happens. My wife and I typically call find this in five to seven years of being married. That drift, that marital drift happens. And all of a sudden, kids and chores and, and job and, and work and everything takes over any time you have for each other. And you're consumed by the contract of life and there's no covenant time in your life. And you wonder why you don't talk to each other. You don't see each other. You don't spend time with each other. Because you're, you have embraced the things that actually cause the drifting. And so when we hear these things, we start to challenge the drifting. Kids aren't bad. Jobs aren't bad. Come on, somebody. But I'm not saying it's evil things that cause us to drift. Kids are great. They're a blessing from the Lord. The Bible says blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. But they've drifted. And there's a tragic ending after such a thrilling and hopeful beginning. But this is why I love God. Come on, church. In spite of their shortcomings. Oh, this is where you should be blessed this morning too. God finds a way to weave even their mistakes into a bright future. And I am here this morning to tell you, and as long as I get to speak on this topic, I will continue to tell you, married people, I don't care about your shortcomings. If you will surrender to God, He will find a way. He will find a way. Excuses are laziness. And I don't mind challenging that. And an adult should not have any. Marriage is for the adults, by the way. An adult has nothing to do with how old you are. If you're not an adult, you're not ready to get married. Let me just tell you something about marriage. Marriage is the one thing that's designed by God to show you exactly how immature you are. And Pastor Don's preaching right there. That wasn't even in my notes. I don't get to how many times I've had to come to my wife and say, please just forgive me. I was, I was just immature. Mm-hmm. I, make no excuse about it. I'm just, I, that, at that moment, over that thing, about whatever that is, I, don't, I can't even remember what now. But that's, that's it. Most things that cause us trouble, most, come out of immaturity. There are some big issues. But see, I don't think the big issues are the things that actually we can't climb. I think it's the selfishness we ultimately can't overcome. All right, wives, you ready? I love you, ladies. But we've been doing this for a couple of weeks, so you got to be used to it. Lessons for wives. Here we go. Are y'all ready? I got this thing up here so I can dodge the bob and weave. 
That's what it is, right? Ladies' character counts. Ladies, there is nothing more beautiful on this planet than a woman of character. It's, it's, it's nothing to do with what size jeans you wear. There is nothing more beautiful on this planet than a woman of character. Rebecca is a young lady, and I need some of you young ladies who, who please listen to Pastor Don's heart. Maybe you can be mad at me, but you'll get over it. Because <laughs> I guarantee you there's going to be one thing that Pastor Don, the eldership team, is going to do with the young lady. We're never going to dishonor them. She's a lady in waiting. And, and in waiting, she's trying to discover. She's ready. She's of that age where she's thinking about a husband and, and who she's going to marry. And she's waiting on marriage. And in her waiting, what I love about her is she devoted herself to serving. She, she didn't, she, she's not trying to advertise herself on Facebook or... Oh, I'm sorry, she didn't have Facebook. Sorry, She, she, she doesn't have any Snapchat filters. Because let me tell you something, young ladies. Your beauty has nothing to do with how, why, or how much makeup you put on. It has nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, I'm just telling you right now, if you got so much makeup on that it cracks when you smile, you probably should think about this thing. I'm not anti-makeup. The barn needs paint and paint it. <laughs> I need a little bit of paint up here sometimes. I, I know. I get it. Right? Anyway. Who was it? Was it one of the Wells boys that asked me how I got it so shiny? And I'm like, dude, that's the anointing. What you talking about? <laughs> I love that she's devoted herself to serving. Um, Chapter 24, verse 14. Watch this, young ladies. Let, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love for my master. So he lays out this fleece, if you will, and says, hey, the, the, the first young lady who comes up and not only gives me some water, but waters the camels. I need you to understand something. There's 10 camels here. Now, let me give you a, few, a little bit of note about camels, young lady. All right, so she, she's not required. She's not paid to do this. This is not her job or whatever. She's serving, just serving like she can serve. You know, it took, here's what scholars say, to legitimately satisfy the thirst of 10 camels, it took over 250 gallons of water. Now, a gallon of water weighs eight pounds. Don't ask me how I know that. I'll let you talk to Tavita. That's over 2,000 pounds of water she moved. Oh, how long did that take? She ain't been to Dave's gym. She ain't done no deadlifting. How long did it take her to move 250 gallons of water to legitimately satisfy, to legally satisfy, to rightly satisfy the thirst of those camels? 
She worked hard. Let me tell you what she worked even harder at, young ladies. I'm convinced that if she was willing to work that hard to legitimately satisfy the thirst of those camels, she was also working very hard to make sure that the thirst in her life for a husband was legitimately going to be satisfied too. I got to move on. Because I just need you to understand, not every young man that comes in your life that knows how to get to the 50th level on, uh, on his video games is a guy who... She is not distracted because she's serving. She's not distracted because she's involved in something that gives her life value. I, I, I think Rebecca's long list of character qualities, qualities that God himself applauded inside of this are incredible. Qualities that make a wife a great woman. Watch this. She was hospitable. She saw a need. She began to meet it. She was observant, compassionate, energetic. It takes a lot of energy to move 250 gallons of water. She's a quick thinker. She's clever. She was reliable. She was responsible. And not only our young ladies, but I would ask every woman that's listening to lay your life down next to this. Take a self-test and see where your focus needs to work. I need to work on that. Character counts, ladies. And you are never more beautiful when you walk in character. Never. Number two, child-centered parenting is going to mess you up. They played the favorites. And this works for both guys and wives. Their partiality drove the boys to make poor decisions because those two boys were instantly put in competition with each other because of the way their parents treated them. They played the favorites, and their character flaws came out because of that. See, with the Spirit's love, it is impossible to love one child more than you love another. Now, because they're different, you love them different. And therefore, you treat them a little different. Loving them the same doesn't mean equal benefits. It just means equal investment. Ooh. I'm asking you married people, don't endanger your family for the lack of love when Christ has enough love for everybody. Every child should have two parents who love them. It's true. But if you are censoring your parenting if you, it, around a childness, those children will rule the roost. They'll be the ones in charge. Negative. Be a parent. Bless them when it's time to bless them. Guide them when it's time to guide them. Correct them. There's a big difference between punishment and correction. And I don't, I don't believe in punishment. I believe in correction. Even correction teaches me, ouch. Okay? And ouch usually reminds me, don't do that again. 
My dad didn't mind ouch. Number three, believe in the promises, lady. Ladies, you, you got to grab a hold of this. I need you to believe that God has spoken to you. Women, let me tell you something. Every married woman in here, every, every handmaiden that's waiting on her husband, God has spoken to you, and he has a promise for you. And at the end of the day, what happens here is Rebecca didn't trust God. She didn't trust, even though he had spoken to her specifically. There's two. He's the one who came and shared this with her. When the time came for the blessing, she took all his matters into her own hands and didn't believe that God could make a way that Jacob would get the blessing. She didn't believe God's promise. Instead of trusting God, she worked to trust her own plans. And, and man, that, that was a mess. It cost her family. Jacob flees for his life. She never sees him again. She lost her son Esau. He's left in anger. He married some heathen woman for spite. Man, y'all just need to read it. Ladies, you'll be the first to tell me that in a relationship, trust is essential. And when you're upset with your husband, the first thing you tell me is, I can't trust him. I can't trust him. I just can't trust him. He says one thing. I'm tired of hearing I'm sorry. I'm tired of hearing I'll never do it again. I'm tired, and rightly so, I get the frustration. I'm not asking you to not stand your ground in these moments. I'm saying, I get it. But you can't come to me in one phrase and say, I can't trust my husband while you live your life in such a way that you don't trust God either. That's hypocritical. I love, come on, y'all. I told y'all that the reason I'm, because this is important. I'm just dealing with some practical things. I'm not angry at anybody. Is there an area, ladies, in your marriage where you're not trusting God? If there is, don't manipulate anything. Confess that and move into it. All of us live in that world. Number four, I need you to just watch this. Review your role as a wife often, ladies. Somewhere along the way, Rebecca stops helping her husband and she starts hurting him. Uh, their marriage, their son, and their unity, everything stops. She, she, she's pitting her wits against everybody. She's creating a mess by not sharing with her husband what God had spoken to her in the beginning. What do you do? Great, I'm glad you asked. Four roles, lady. ladies. Watch this. Four roles in your marriage. Help, submit, respect, and love. I, I'm going to work on these in my life. I'm going to work on these in my life. I'm going to work on these in my life. Look at this list every day. Pray for God to make them fresh in your heart each day. There's a great question my wife and I like to ask wives when we sit down with them and talk about what's really going on. And what we do is we talk about their own actions and where they're at. And the question we ask is, will this action, will this choice, will this behavior help or hinder my husband? Will it help or hinder my goals? Ladies, you love Proverbs chapter 31. Come on, I know you do. Right? I see you wear it. Let me read it to you. Proverbs 31 verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. 
and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. We got some women in here. We got some women in here who own this. And let me tell you something. They're not doormats. And if some of you ladies are struggling with what I just said, I would encourage you to talk to those ladies. Watch how they stand and what God has called them to do and be and never violate the principle of this. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. All the ladies go, Phew. Oh, y'all want more? And now I'm going to move on with the husbands here. Quickly, lessons for husbands. First thing I need you to understand, gentlemen, is something I need to embrace all the time. Gentleness, gentleness, watch this, is strength under control. Because, man, the first thing we want to do is bend everything to our will. I'll show you. I'm in charge. I'll I'll do this thing, right? I'll do this. See, I'm talking about the ability to stay calm no matter what. Man, I'm just telling you why. At the beginning of our marriage, uh, y'all have no idea. I would, I would go through the wall. I was an angry person. I, I mean, I, I've told you the story. I ran one of our cars in the other car. Come on. I, I, I was mad at my wife one day and dealt with a couple of stray dogs in a wrong way because I was mad at her. And God spoke to me about murder in my heart, not towards but towards my wife. I, I, gentlemen, I, I've been there. My wife will tell you now, she realizes when I'm upset or when something's not right. I get quiet. I can come in after a meeting and my wife will go, how'd things go? Right? She knows. She's like, all right, let's sit down. Something can go on and she can see, right? I purpose in my heart, right? God took my anger away. That was one of my prayers in the beginning is, Lord, take this away from me. I don't want to be angry anymore. Take it away from me. And I fasted and prayed and God delivered me from anger. And he delivered me from that thing. And, and, and the joy he gave me in my heart is something that I celebrate every day. Because I used to be that guy who would go through a wall. I, I was that guy who would run a car into I was that guy, right? I was so angry at the world. I was bitter at everything and everybody. And I destroyed my relationship uh, uh, with my wife because I was so intimidating. With everybody, I was just intimidating. When I think about gentleness, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Gentlemen, Galatians chapter 5, it's a fruit of the Spirit. A godly husband is to be a leader who is marked by gentleness. Isaac displays this. He's meditating in a field one day, and here she comes by, right? He's just there seeking out God for who she is, and, and there she comes. And, and, and see, there isn't a wife in this room or who is listening today or hasn't done, been through some stuff who doesn't want their husband to show a little more gentleness. All the ladies said? Amen. Thank you. Be kind. Be gentle. She's not your enemy. She may not like you right now. (laughs) Let me give you a warning, gentlemen. 
A quiet spirit of meekness is noble until. I said a quiet spirit of meekness is noble until it becomes passive. Then it fails. It fails to make decisions. It fails to stand up for what's right. It fails to be true and godly. It fails to lead its own self. Let me tell you, every husband in this room, you can't lead a soul if you can't lead yourself. The first person you should be leading is you. Don't worry about who's following you. Who's supposed to be following you? If you lead properly, the proper people will follow. Following has everything to do with willfulness. I guarantee you, gentlemen, if you will treat her with gentleness and and you will not let meekness enter your life to passiveness and and fail in your leadership, fail in those things, she'll follow you anyway. Every man in this room is being, being given more grace by their wife than they deserve. I'm glad some guys said amen. That's true. Bunch of boneheads. All of us. That woman God gave you is the best thing that ever happened to you. She is the picture and the physical embodiment of the grace of God in your life. And just because she might get up on the couch and point her finger in your face, don't mean she don't love you. Matter of fact, it's that love that might drove her up there. I refuse for you to be a knucklehead. I need you to stand up. Let me tell you how you'll get there, gentlemen. You've got to tap into prayer. If you're a married man, you better be a man of prayer. Isaac was the one who interceded on behalf of his wife. She was praying. But come on. The Bible says that when Isaac interceded, God began to... Come on, come on, gentlemen. See, this is a key role for you as a husband. Pray for her. She got a lot to do. And she's married to you. Pray for her. She needs prayer. A lot of it. Good prayer. The prayer that says, bless her, Lord. Fill her, Lord. Touch her, Jesus. Don't be praying, touch her, Lord, before I do. Her needs and concerns need to be our highest priority. Do you hear me, gentlemen? I, have, I, I believe this so much that I have gone to men and say, you got to quit that job. What are we going to do? You can have a job and not have a wife, or you can have a wife and get a new job. Which one do you want? Quit that job. She's more important. Show her. Every man in this room needs to read the book of Hosea. Not that your wife has gone down that path. Don't look at her. The book of Hosea is not about Gomer. It's about you. And are you willing to bankrupt your life? So much so to sell the food you would eat when you and the furniture you would sit home to bring her home to an empty house to show her that she and she alone is the most valuable thing in your life. 
she gets out of order and all of a sudden you want to read Hosea so you can see what God's got to say about her. Now, you better understand it's called Hosea because it's not, it was called Gomer. I need to move on. Let me tell you something, guys. Emotions are a good thing. Isaac wasn't afraid of his soft side for Rebecca. I love this about it, right? And this is demonstrating an incredible story, right? Um, they're, they're newlyweds, and, and here's what you love about newlyweds, right? You love to watch them. You ever watch newlyweds? Oh, just watch. It's like everything is new for the first time. It's fresh and it's exciting. It is. Everything is fresh and new. It's exciting. You like to watch. We can pick them out anywhere. But watch this. Even after 40 years of marriage, listen to Abimelech's testimony about Isaac's love for his wife. Genesis 26. I'm going to read it to you because I can. Verses 7 and 9. love this. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. For he was feared to say she's my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill him because of Rebecca. Because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been born there a long, when, or when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, "Behold, she's your wife. How could you then say she's my sister?" Abimelech, a pagan, testified to a husband. Let's me and you both admit here. I know you love her. I can see it. I can see how much you love her. What if that was a testimony of every husband in this room, every husband who's listening? The world could look at us as husbands and go, man, I know he loves his wife. Look how much he loves her. And that's not about giving her things or, or providing materialistic things. But see, that, that's a, even in the midst of failing his wife, he failed her miserable. The world looked at him and said, man, I see. I, come on. Look at your emotions. You're like a little schoolboy when you get around her. Hello, somebody. Having emotions, gentlemen, a soft side with your wife is essential. And all the ladies said? Amen. And it should move you into the full revelation of, of uh, 1 Peter uh, there. And I've quoted the scripture to you. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. The Bible says, watch this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as she's the weaker vessel, since... They are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers be not hindered. Honor that woman. Bless her and be soft to her. And I just want to say this to us as husbands. We will probably never fully understand our wives. But that doesn't mean we can't be there for them. Gentlemen, love needs direction. 
I'm going to say this very boldly and very bravely. Love is never lost. You can't. Love is never lost. It's only redirected. The first 20 years of their marriage, Isaac's full love was dedicated to his wife. And somehow it got redirected. The boys came along and the excitement faded. They found themselves choosing sides against one another. I understand. Somehow, in a rough sea of marriage, this couple whose marriage was made in heaven drifted apart. Gentlemen, your love as a husband is to be directed at your wife, period. Period. Don't tell me you'll die for her if you won't live for her. Don't tell me you'd give up your life for her if you can't give up anything in this world for her. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. He left heaven. There's perfection. No sickness, no disease, no drama, no chaos. And he came to earth broken. Come on, church. He gave up who he was, everything that he was, to come and die for her. See, here's my call to husbands. I don't think God or your wife is as interested in your willingness to die for her as they both are in your willingness to live for her. Jesus already died for the church, gentlemen. His model is one of sacrifice. I get it. Every man in this room has got his own battles. Come on. And some of those are big. They're deep. They're dark. They're tall and they're long. But let me tell you the one thing, gentlemen, that mo should motivate you to get up every morning and keep wielding your sword. Keep fighting that fight. Keep pressing in no matter how many times you get knocked down. No matter how many times you get it wrong. No matter how many times. The one thing that should get you up every day is that woman God gave you. She's worth it. Even when she's standing on the couch like a little chihuahua. Don't write me no emails, okay? Disrespect your wife calling her a chihuahua. Yeah, you guys have no idea. A wise husband realizes that his marriage is always a work in progress. That means you got to do your part to keep it alive, gentlemen. You can never think that your marriage has arrived. Here we sit in this room this morning. And we understand that the love of a husband and a wife is an incredible story. The fire of your marriage won't last unless you stoke it, wife and husband. Come on. You got to stir it, both of you. This means you got to constantly tend it. And here's where every one of us live. There may be some of us sitting in this room right now who watched the sands and this hourglass fade away. And like all the sand that's gone in this hourglass, it's over. 
You think it's faded in your marriage too. You think your marriage has run out of grace. Run out of redemption like this hourglass ran out of sand. But Pastor Don has an incredibly prophetic word for you this morning. If you as a husband and wife will stand up in this place right now in the presence of God and commit your marriage till death do us part for whatever it looks like, I believe in the miracle working power of God and restoring and putting back what you think ran out. It didn't run out. This is God's grace. God's grace. You think you've run out. Christy Munson came up to me during worship and she said, I see an hourglass. And I was like, oh yeah. And she said, people think that time has run out in their marriage. Oh. Not as long as Jesus has something to say about it. <laughs> the more you fuel the flame, you'll find May God will spin this thing, man. And it's new and it's fresh. Don't complain about the time you don't have. Make time. And you'll have a marriage made in heaven. I want to say to you this morning, I don't care how you started out. I don't care what you've been through. You've been through some stuff. Can God even be a part? Of where we are right now as husband and wife. Let me just tell you something right now. Here you are. Here you are. You walked into this building and the roof didn't fall down. Fire didn't come from heaven. Here you are. And God wants to bless you like you have never been blessed before. I believe in new beginnings. I believe you can have the marriage you've always wanted with the person you're married to. I just also believe you can't be married the way you were yesterday. That's what God does when he flips the hourglass. When you think you've run out of time, come stand in the presence of God and watch him. Watch him turn it over. Come on. Can I pray for you? And if there's any married couples in here, you want to come to the altar, you're fine. Nobody's judging anybody. Listen, I, I'm told, I can tell you some stories. But I want to pray. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, have your way. Here we are in this room. God, we thought time had run out. But like you always do, Jesus, you flip the script. You renewed your grace. God, I'm praying for husbands and wives in this place right now. For those who have been so deeply wounded and frustrated, God. Wrecked by what has happened. To the point that they think it's not fixable. God, would you give them a new heart? Take that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. God, would you give them a picture of this hourglass, God? Would you help them to see that God, with your help pressing in, that you can do what only you can do so that marriage can bring you glory and give us joy.
I pray it this morning. I pray it this morning in the name of Jesus. Let every marriage be renewed right now in this place. Right now in this place, let, it, let the dawn be a new day. Let the commitments that are made right now in our hearts and even with our words be a foundation that you are building on God. Yesterday was yesterday, but today you have flipped the script. I stand new and fresh as a husband and as a wife. Have you a Jesus? Have you a Jesus? Let us see miracles. Let us see miracles, God. Ah.